Uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Herrick, and I'm one of the pastors here of Restored along with Tom, and I want to welcome you to our Sunday gathering. And this morning, uh, if you're new, we've been working through the book of John for the last like year and a half, and we'll take strategic breaks here or there to talk on other topics. And uh, this morning, I have a message that I'm going to share with you guys that I'm like really excited about. I've been wanting to share something like this, like a really, like Tom mentioned, it's like a really practical kind of how-to of discipleship. Like I, this morning, I really want to kind of put some tools in your toolkit that you can use as you're seeking to grow as and make disciples of each other. So as I was thinking about this message, I was like kind of praying like, God, is there, I wanted like something, to, like a jumping off point, something that we could kind of all understand that would kind of help get us in the mindset of what we're going to talk about today. And I couldn't help it. It just popped in there, Toy Story. So if you're not a Pixar fan, I'm sorry. I, I, I guess I'm not sorry. It's like, why? Uh, but um, Toy Story, if you're not familiar with it, it's this great adventure story. And it's these toys that belong to, to well, it starts with Andy and then it progresses to a kid. And, uh, and they go on these adventures to rescue lost toys. And those are, they're lost toys who, along the way, are really discovering who they are. And not only that, they actually find out in pretty much every, every toy story, like either the movies or the shorts, they actually have shorts, if you're not familiar with that. There's like five to, to 20 minute episodes that are fantastic. Uh, they find out that their true purpose is to be there for their kid. And it's not about being the best or the greatest or about building an identity around your accessories, like Buzz Lightyear's, like, you know, I could go around this room with my eyes closed kind of thing. Uh, that typically just leads to rivalries and fighting. Uh, so they discover, like, that's not really what it's about. Life's about being faithful to the one that we belong to. And it's about rallying others to be faithful to my kid, and including those who don't have a place to belong into this family, going out and rescuing lost toys. And so they have these like, crazy adventures as, as they seek to bring lost toys home. And so here's the, here's the part about the message. This is where it ties into our message today. At different points, if you watch these movies, at different points in time, they really need each other. Like, bad, in the worst ways. As I was thinking about it, uh, I don't know if you remember these parts of the movies, but at different points, pretty much all of them deals with fear and abandonment issues. They're afraid they're going to get left behind. They're afraid they're going to be forgotten. Uh, at times, like, they have to help each other trust their master. And they look out for each other. They protect each other so they don't become lost toys. And they have to remind each other of like, who their kid is. Like, Andy. Andy loves you. Because they're tempted to believe lies about Andy and what Andy is actually doing. They need reminders of like, who you are. You're Andy's toy. And what their purpose is. Like, you're here for, for Andy. You're here to serve. Not about you. And in times of discouragement, they have to remind each other of their intrinsic worth. You remember when like, Woody's like, Buzz, you were a cool toy. Like Buzz actually really needed that encouragement at that point in time. Does any of this sound familiar? Okay. Do you guys see where I'm going with this? Good. I'm laying it on thick, so I'm glad it's clear. <laughs> this is the Christian life in many ways. This is like the Christian life. It's a great adventure that we're on. We're bringing lost sons and daughters home. And we're, we're bringing them back to their master, Jesus. And we are going back to our master, Jesus. We are discovering who we are. We're finding our purpose. And we're finding out that our purpose is to be faithful to him, to be faithful to Jesus, and help others to do the same thing. So in a lot of ways, we are embarking on this adventure together, and we are going to need each other's help 
regularly. Just like the characters in Toy Story needed help, we're going to need help because we're going to face danger and peril. We're going to face temptation to believe lies about God, about each other. So a lot like the Toy Story again, we're going to need each other's help to make it through to the end. So this morning, we're going to talk practically and specifically about how do we actually help each other make it to the end? How do we help each other continue to follow Jesus so that nobody falls off track? So if you have your Bible, turn over with me to Hebrews 3. We're going to look at verses 12 to 15. That's going to be our starting off point this morning. Hebrews 3, verses 12 to 15. And if you are new, like we haven't been in the, in the book of Hebrews, so I'm going to give a little bit of context. This, if you've been, uh, if you're doing the CBR reading with us, which is just our Bible reading uh, tool, we've been going through the book of Hebrews, but um, if you're unfamiliar, the book of Hebrews is this long, it's a sermon, actually. It's a sermon that's been written down for us from thousands of years ago, and it's written to a church that's really struggling. It's like people are having a really hard time. These Christians that received this letter, they had like this great start to their great adventure with Jesus. Some of them actually were, they lost property. They were imprisoned. They suffered much. Like, they paid the price to follow Jesus. But here's the thing, like, some of them are just starting to grow weary. They're starting to get tired in their walk with Jesus. And some of them are being tempted to actually give up. So the words I'm going to read, they're kind of intense. And if you read the letter of the Hebrews, you might notice it's intense. And there's a reason why, because God doesn't want anybody to fall off. He doesn't want any sheep to wander. Talked about the good sheep, the good shepherd, the dumb sheep and the good shepherd. Uh, we're the, by the way, I hope that's not offensive because we're all dumb sheep in a sense. We all wander off. We're all prone to do that. Uh, so it's not you, it's me, it's us. And so these, these words are intense, but it's, think of them as the words of the good shepherd who doesn't want anyone to go, uh, go astray. So Hebrews 3, verses 12 to 15. Watch out, brothers and sisters, so that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage each other daily. That's the big thing for today. Encourage each other daily, while it is still called today, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. For we have become participants in Christ if we hold firmly to the end the reality that we had at the start. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And that's a reference to the Israelites in the wilderness when they rebelled against God and they fell in the wilderness. So, this is a scary thought. Sin hardens our hearts and it leaves us completely unaware. We don't know it. We don't know it. It's deceptive. We have no idea. So this this word hardened in Greek, it's the word skleros, and it describes something that's like hard and stiff and stubborn, and unyielding, and won't budge, or bend, or submit. It's kind of unyieldingly harsh. Kind of scary. And our pastors basically said, like, this can happen, you might be completely unaware of it. And God doesn't want that to happen to anybody in this room today, myself included. This is not his will for us. Does anybody want this to describe them? No. Do you want this to describe anybody in this room, in this family? Of course not. Nobody wants that. But here's the good news. We can actually have each other's backs as we fight against sin. You can't do this alone. You have to have other people who are going to fight with you. With encouragement. That word encouragement is the Greek word parakaleo, which means to, to make a call from being up close and personal. So it's coming alongside someone that you know whose life 
you've seen, and you can make a call. You can encourage them specifically and with trusting and following Jesus. Does that make sense? We're coming alongside each other, encouraging each other to trust and follow Jesus. How do we do that? How do we do that? So that's what this message is about. If you have a pen and paper, if you're taking notes, go ahead and write this down. How do we fight sin? We go to war. So you can write down, go to war. W-A-R, capitals. Actually, it wasn't a joke, but I appreciate the laughter. <laughs> we go to war. I'm going to explain what this means, okay? The, the G in go is for gently confront. And we're going to unpack all of these. Gently confront. The W is warn. The A is affirm. And the R is rally. And we're going to break every single one of these down. So you just write down, go to war. And we'll get into each of these. Go to war. So the A, I'm not going to go in order. I'm going to start with affirmation first, affirm, uh, just because it's my favorite. So we're going to start there. Number one, affirm. I heard somebody say this, and I can't remember who said it, but it's resonated with, it's stuck with me that most people, probably it describes most of the people in this room, most people are overwhelmed with life, work, family, jobs, money, shuffling from one practice to another with your kids or whatever it is, overwhelmed and then under-encouraged. So people, and I get this because I'm speaking from first-hand experience, we internalize messages of shame and guilt, this fear of being exposed. So that's our reality, overwhelmed a lot of the times and under-encouraged. Here's the thing, I think after reading the Bible, I'm convinced God has something way better for us. Affirmed. I think that's what he wants for us. And you might be like, well, okay, what do you mean by affirmation? So affirmation is simply telling someone what is true of them. Affirmation is telling some, someone what is true of them. And I think there's two realities that we see, at least two. I'm just going to focus on these two for today. Two ways that we can affirm biblically. There's two things we see in the Bible. So first thing, our position in Christ. Our position in Christ, which is another way of saying this is how God sees you. We can affirm, this is how God sees you. And I'll unpack that in a minute. And the second thing is our present reality. This is what I see in you. So this is how God sees you. This is what I see in you. We'll start with the first one, our position in Christ. This is how God sees you. This is all over the Bible, by the way. I'm just going to give you one quick example. 1 Corinthians 2. 1 Corinthians 2. This is the Apostle Paul. He's writing to a church in Corinth. Do you guys know kind of like what characterized the church in Corinth? Immaturity. Immaturity. Bingo. Immaturity. What else characterized the church in Corinth? Prostitutes. Yeah. <laughs> for some, sure. That, that, that was happening. That's, that's accurate. Gift, I was looking for giftedness, but prostitutes, you know, <laughs> also accurate. So they were immature, but they were gifted. Okay, they were immature, but they were gifted. But here's what, how Paul starts the letter. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. To the church of God at Corinth, to those sanctified, yes, those going to see prostitutes, he says, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called as saints, with all those in every place who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. This is how God sees you. You are in Christ. You are set apart. You are holy. You are precious. You are chosen. It's all because of Jesus. 
We need these reminders often because it's very easy to be defined by our failures, by our sins, by what's been done to us, what we've done to others. We need these reminders all the time. And for me, for me personally, I sometimes feel unseen, unworthy, and unsettled in who I am. And that's not anybody's fault. That's just the, the experience that I live pretty much every day. So these reminders of my position in Christ, they can be life-giving, absolutely life-giving. I'll give you one example. I was, I was in San Diego at the time that this happened. This was a few years back. And I was reading Acts 18, verses 9 to 10. We might have them up on the screen. And basically, long story short, this is the Apostle Paul. He's been radically saved. He didn't believe in Jesus. He met the risen Jesus on this road to Damascus. He becomes a Christian. He starts spreading the gospel everywhere. And, and he now starts having encounters with Jesus. And this is what the Lord Jesus said to the Apostle Paul. Chapter Acts 18, verses 9 and 10. It says, The Lord said to Paul in a night vision, Don't be afraid, but keep on speaking and don't be silent. For I am with you, and no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you because, and this is the part, I have many people in this city. And for you, that might not mean anything, but for me, when Jesus, when I read that, it said, Jesus said, I have many people in this city. It hit me. I live in a city. It's called San Diego. I'm one of his people. He knows my address. He knows where I am. It was true then, it's still true today. He sees me as a friend. In the same way that you might, let's say you're you're traveling to Portland or something, you're like, oh, I got a friend in Portland. I'm going to hit them up when I go to Portland. Maybe we'll stay with them, maybe we'll get time together. Like, Jesus does that with people, with his people. That's true of me, which must mean that he's into me, (laughs) like he likes me, he's for me. Do you know what that does to feelings of shame and guilt and purposelessness? It, does, it softens them in a pretty spectacular way. And maybe you're here today and you need this reminder. If you're in Christ, God sees you and he calls you friend. And in this instance, this was the scripture that affirmed that, right? I'm a friend of God. But with that said, I am convinced that the same spirit of Jesus that inspired the scriptures being written wants to encourage us in the same way. He wants to affirm what's true of us through other people. Quick story. I remember I was in a book study in San Diego about, it would have been two years ago, like November 2017. So two years ago, I was living in San Diego with my wife and kids, and we were doing a book study with some guys in our church, which was Restored Uptown. If you're new, by the way, we're a part of a family of churches. Restored Temecula is one of four churches. So we were planted out of Restored South Bay. We've got some South Bay peeps here today, uh, which was planted out of Restored Uptown. And on and on it goes. But I was a part of Restored Uptown, uh, Tom and Eb were as part of that church as well. And so I was there. We were doing a book study. And I was kind of, we just, we took a night and we just spent some time praying for each other. We just, we didn't, I didn't really have an agenda. Like, let's just listen to the Holy Spirit for one another. Let's just see how God wants to encourage each other. By the way, if you're new, we, we believe that God speaks today. We believe that he is still speaking. He's a talking God. And nothing has really changed in that sense from the time of the writing of the scripture to today. With that said, you don't have to believe that. That's okay. If you want to talk about it, I love talking about this. Come and find me afterwards. But regardless, we were praying, listening to the Spirit. And there was a guy in my group that I was getting to know and really enjoy. And I feel like I just got a little picture, like a little, think of like a little movie in your mind's eye. And it was him playing soccer. And he was, 
he was like in the middle of the soccer field with a lot of players. Think like if you have kids or if you've ever seen like kids play soccer, everybody runs on the ball, like everybody collapses. There's like 20 kids on the ball, kind of like that. So there was him. It was actually kind of hard to see him in the middle of the picture, but I knew it was him. And then this phrase came to mind, I see you. And then immediately Ephesians 2.10 came to mind, and I sensed the Spirit saying, this man is God's workmanship. He is my poem. He is my masterpiece. I prepared good works for him that are precious, valuable, divinely ordained, beautiful. I shared this with him, and I got a cool thanks, basically. Not much else. So in my mind, this was like a swing and a miss. At best, I like tipped it into the catcher's glove. So fast forward seven months, seven months. I hadn't thought about that since then. It's kind of a swing and a miss. Why think about it? Just kind of a win because I tend to dwell on my failures, but I didn't think about it. So seven months pass. A lot changes. Restored Temecula. We get called to come up here. So this is my last night, May. This was like May 2nd or something, 2018. It was the last night that I had with the whole church. We had like a prayer night. And so we get together as a church, Restored Uptown, and we pray. We were about to move back into, maybe we were moving to a new venue and we were just asking for God's blessing, God's spirit to be poured out as we moved into this new venue. So I'm sitting there just praying and all of a sudden what comes to mind? The soccer picture. It comes back again. So I'm like, cool. That was a dud the first time. So why, why bring it up? Uh, so anyway, so I was thinking, oh, that's a pretty lame word. I probably made that one, up, that one up, right, Lord? But I couldn't shake it. I just got this like burden, this increasing sense that I had to share it. So I found a guy who I shared this word with, and I was like, hey, so do you remember seven months ago when I, you know, I was thinking this shared this lame word that didn't resonate with you at all, but I just kind of like, I didn't say that. I just said like, hey, do you remember this? And he was like, dude, his eyes kind of opened. He's like, I've been thinking about that tonight. And I was like, ooh, okay. Why would two people be thinking about what felt like a prophetic, a prophetic swing and a miss seven months later? Probably because God was bringing it up. And so we talk about it. We unpack it. And as it, as it turns out, he told me, he was honest. He was like, yeah, that, the first time, you know, was cool. Uh, this time, though, this time, I can't even begin to tell you like how encouraging it was. And basically, the, the long and the short of it is that he was experiencing a ton of turmoil at his workplace. He was a teacher, and there were respected employees at his workplace that were being let go. And the reason they were being let go, they were like people of integrity who worked hard, but they basically wouldn't bow down to the power brokers at the school. It was getting political and toxic at this school. Like there was people trying to control the school. So my friend was getting discouraged along with the rest of his team. And so for him, my buddy told me, like, I feel like God reminded me that he sees my work and values it, that I am valuable, that he had even prepared it for me. There was a work that I was called to do despite the turmoil and the toxicity that I'm in. And it was highly encouraging to him. It made sense. And I'm convinced that this sort of encouragement does not have to be an exception this can be common for us. Maybe not the prophetic. I think, I think prophecy is for everybody. I'll just be clear about that. I'll say that unapologetically. I think it's for everybody. Again, if you have 
questions about that, come and see me. We'll talk. We'll talk over coffee. It'd be great. But at the end of the day, I don't think this is supposed to be the exception. We can receive reminders of this. We can be affirmed in terms of how God sees us, who we are in him regularly by reading the scripture. So if you're not currently reading the scripture on an ongoing basis, we have this thing called CBR. It's great. It's a Bible reading plan and we have a journal. If you want one, come and talk to us. We'll be right up here. We'd love to get you one. So the whole church can be reading the same passage of scripture, encouraging each other. That's affirmation in a sense. You get affirmed regularly there. But it's not just there. There can be moments of spirit-led gospel encouragement like the one I just described. It can be totally normal in our community. Or it could be simply like a, hey, brother or sister, I know that you're feeling a certain way right now. You're going through a season of discouragement. It doesn't have to be like some kind of prophetic revelation. It can just be, hey, I know you're having a hard time, but I just want to remind you of who you are. You're God's daughter. You're God's son. He's never going to let you go. Your life was redeemed at a high cost. You matter. You're valuable. Does that make sense? We need that all the time, all right? We need that regularly. This is how God sees you. So that's the first thing we can affirm, position in Christ. Second thing, we can actually affirm each other's present reality in Christ. So position in Christ, first thing. Second thing, present reality. This is what I see in you. And the Apostle Paul does this repeatedly, over and over again. He affirms different churches he's writing to. He talks about their faith, their love, their giftedness. In Romans, he talks about their obedience. He's like, you guys are an obedient church. He talks about the Macedonians' financial generosity. He talks about the Colossians' fruitfulness and their growth in the gospel. He basically tells the the Philippians, you guys are ride or die with me. And I love that. You're my partners in the gospel. And you bring me so much joy. There's perseverance in in Thessalonians. He affirms that their labor is motivated by love. He affirms their heart. He's like, you guys work hard, and I know it's not because you're selfish and you get something out of it. It's because you love people. Like, how amazing is that? Who doesn't need affirmation like that from time to time? And I've said this before from the front. I don't think I'm going to get tired of saying this. You have permission to be amped on the other people in this room and the ways that God is working in their life. You don't need to be jealous. Our Father is generous and kind, and I get this. I'm, speaking, I'm preaching to myself. We have permission to get amped on each other. And we need to affirm because we all know what it's like to be discouraged. That is just a reality. You know what it's like to go t- grow tired and weary as a disciple. You may even know what it's like to want to give up. Just be like, this is too much. Following Jesus is too hard. It's not worth it. But Jesus died to bring hope and joy and new life. And a timely affirmation for a brother or a sister can recenter us in Jesus in powerful ways. Around his love for us, his grace to us, and his present work in our lives. It can actually help someone not drop out of the race. You were a cool toy, Buzz. Keep going, you know? Like, we, it can help us. So, uh, I, I have more examples, but I feel like I... I'll do one more, quick one. So there's a guy in, in Uptown that I love deeply, and he's a remarkable guy. He's a guy who, one of the guys in Uptown actually really... Thank God he didn't, he wasn't successful. One of the guys in Uptown who struggled with mental health stuff actually tried to take his own life. He didn't, thankfully, but he tried. So that night, this guy I'm talking about that I love, he was this person's GC leader. He slept on the guy's floor to make sure he was safe. Like he was a married guy. He's like, sorry, babe, like I got to go. And he was with him 
in the most tender moment. This is a remarkable man, remarkable. One of the most loving people I've ever met in my entire life. And yet, he went through a really tough season. He went through a tough season because he felt hurt and unappreciated by someone else in the church. And you know what started to happen? He started to pull back from community. And there was this long, arduous process of reconciliation and repentance and restoration, but he made it through. He made it through on the back end, which was amazing. Now, here's the thing. As he was coming out of it, you might not be surprised to kind of, he was feeling kind of ashamed and bummed out about the way, because he had a lot of bitterness and hurt that he was holding on to, which is tough. There can be shame associated with that. And so that same night, the same night that uh, the lame soccer picture came back and it wasn't so lame, that same night, I was praying with him, and I felt like God put on my heart Hebrews 6. And if you've ever read Hebrews 6, there's this amazing passage. The Hebrews are like, the, the, the writer of the Hebrews is encouraging his people not to give up, not to quit. And he basically tells them, hey, God is not going to forget the work you did when you loved the saints, when you loved people, when you, because they went, you know, they visited people that were arrested, they sacrificially gave to one another. And, and the writer of the Hebrews encourages them by just saying, God's not going to forget the work that you did. Keep going. God is good. He's kind to you. Even though we're speaking, like in Hebrews 6, is kind of intense, talking about falling away from God. He says, even though we were speaking this way, dearly loved friends, in your case, we are confident of better things, things that pertain to salvation. So don't become lazy, but be imitators of those who by faith and perseverance have inherited God's promises. Long story short, for him, this was like a, okay, God wants me back in the game. And it actually led him to get back into leading a gospel community. And I can tell you now, after a year and a half, that gospel community is thriving under his leadership. He needed that encouragement. And I'm not telling you this to be like, wow, look at, I'm going to talk about my failures here in a minute. We're going to talk about confrontation. I'm going to talk to you about the ways that I need to be confronted. But I am telling you, if you're open and available, God might give you encouragement for people that could change their direction, their course, affirmation. It's a really big deal. So here's what I want to do very quickly. I felt like this would be a good opportunity to kind of do this publicly. So where are my GC leaders at? Right up over here. I'm going to just take a couple minutes just to affirm people. GC leaders, I want to affirm you publicly. You guys prepare, pray, open your lives, open your homes to welcome others in. If you've never led a GC before, I want you to know it's never convenient. Never. Because people have busy lives. They have work. They have families. They have pressures, complexity. And then you guys have added in caring for other people on top of that. And not just caring for people, practically, you want to see them grow in their gospel identity. Practically speaking, you want to see them grow up into Jesus. Your sacrificial love for others reminds me of Jesus. And I want to publicly affirm you, GC leaders. Well done. Where are my serve team leaders at? There's a few in the room. Yep. Chad and Mel somewhere. Chad back there. I think Tracy's home with like a sore throat or something. Serve team leaders. I've heard it said, I think Tom actually used this word. I've heard it said that uh, members of the family aren't merely there to consume but to contribute. You did use that word. God's our father. We're brothers and sisters. 
and it's a joy to see you faithfully contribute week in, week out, week out to the needs of this family in response to the ways Jesus has served us. We love you. I don't know where we'd be without you, serve team leaders. If you are a part of a gospel community, I feel like I want to affirm you. You courageously show up to be known in community and get to know others. It's a lot easier to do this on TV, like live vicariously through, you know, friends, perfect example. It's a lot easier to have community vicariously through other people. You're showing up. You're spending time together, and the masks are starting to come off. And it's beautiful and messy. It's both. But you remind me that Jesus came to form a new family, committed to a new way, and that it's hard, but it's totally worth it. So I want to affirm you if you're part of a GC. Is Lisa Lachlan here? Lisa, (laughs) you're often the last to leave because you stick around to listen to and minister to others. She leaves, if you ever notice, like Lisa is a lot of times the last person to leave this room. And I've seen her not just here, but in the Family of Churches retreat, like literally ministering to someone for, she was, I think they must have given her a key, lock up when you're done. (laughs) She, like, Lisa, you're not only like the last to leave, but you're also the first to share how something someone did blessed you. You're a remarkable woman. You embody what it means to both give and receive, and we love you. I think Marla's recording it for you. Thank you, Marla. Uh, Tom and Ebb. But by the way, this is, I didn't prepare this. Uh, I didn't tell anybody I was going to do this. Tom and Ebb, I feel like I want to affirm you too. You guys are pioneers who paid the price to see this community established. Look around. Hashtag worth it. Am I right? <laughs> We love you. We're so grateful. So here's the thing. Quickly, affirmation can happen when you're praying. Paul, all the time, he's like, I give my thanks to God for you. You can affirm your brothers and sisters to the Father privately. You can affirm them before others. Whether you have a a mic like I do in my hand or you're at a birthday party or whatever, you can affirm people publicly. And you can affirm them privately. You can just pull someone aside. You can take them out to coffee Affirm away. You have permission. Affirm away. Their position in Christ and the present reality in him. Does that make sense? Okay, that's affirmation. That's the longest one by far. It'll speed up. <laughs> Next one is gentle confrontation. So affirmation's great, but it's not enough. There are other times. For some of you guys who build stuff, I'm guessing you don't just use a hammer. You know, there's probably times when you need to use, like, a screwdriver. (laughs) Right? So it's not always appropriate to, you know, use a hammer. There's other tools required. So this is a different tool for you when different situations come up. This is called gentle confrontation. Gentle confrontation. So as we're on this amazing adventure together, the gospel, guess what happens? Stuff happens. Stuff comes out. We identify areas of each other's lives that are kind of characterized by being like, that's kind of unloving, or hey, that's sort of selfish, or that might even be sinful. So how do we respond? Galatians 6.1 says this, brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken by any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you won't also be tempted. So what's the purpose of gentle confrontation? Is it to punish somebody? No, it's not. 
That word restore is actually a Greek word that was used. So do we have any doctors in the house? I can't remember. I guess that one. So when you reset a bone, maybe you can confirm this. When you reset a bone, if you don't do it properly, it can kind of get deformed and mangled and stuff, right? So this is apparently something that happens. It probably doesn't happen all the time here, but it happens a lot in other countries. And what can happen is those bones, they don't set properly and it can be a lot more painful and, prob- and cause a lot more problems later when it's not reset. So we want to reset. You've probably been there. You know, you've probably been around someone or maybe experienced hurt that didn't quite get handled the right way. And it can actually cause more problems later. And so we want to we confront each other gently. When confrontation goes wrong, it can cause a lot of damage. Who should we confront? Great question. People we actually know. People we actually know. People we actually love. <laughs> people that we're actually responsible for. People will struggle to receive from us if they don't actually think that we know them or care about them. That's just a fact of life. Okay, why should we confront them? It's just so that they'll love Jesus and other people, so they don't abdicate. Because we're all tempted to abdicate that, that call to love. And so we want to confront when we become concerned about somebody's trajectory. We don't want to confront every single sin. That will consume your life. But if you're concerned about someone's trajectory, it's probably a good thing to confront them. Hebrews, this passage that, we jumped, that was kind of like our jumping off point today, calls us to encourage each other how often? Do you remember? Daily. Daily. This is an ongoing reality, day by day. And we confront gently and directly. Okay. Here's the, the most important thing to remember before you confront someone. On your best day, you're more like that person than you are like Jesus. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say it again, Tom. On your best day, this is hard to believe sometimes because sin is deceitful. Am I right? I'm just proving my point in different ways. On your best day, you're more like, you're more like that person that you're confronting than you are like Jesus. You can be tempted. You're not above them. You know what it's like to be tempted. You know what it's like to be angry. You know what it's like to love something more than God, to feel stuck in sin, to need grace. Because you're a fellow beloved sinner, we get to come alongside someone, not come down on them. Does that make sense? Okay. Here's the truth. They're God's beloved children bought with the blood of his son, Jesus, this person that we're confronting. So two things to remember. I am so bad that Jesus had to die. But... I am so loved that Jesus was glad to die. I want to have that in mind as we're confronting each other. I'm sinful. This person is a beloved child of the king of the universe. I better watch how I talk to them. You should confront them gently and directly. So for me, this, what does this look like in my life? I remember uh, once years ago going through a season where I was in a tough place. I was really critical of others, and I was unteachable, and I didn't know it. I idolized Bible knowledge in being right, and I kind of lifted myself up above other Christians in the process. And here's the thing. After spending time together and getting to know me, the pastor of the church that I was a part of sat me down very calmly and lovingly told me, you know, Herrick, I feel like your knowledge exceeds your obedience. And my jaw just like, what? Did that hurt? Yeah. But I took it to heart, and I did some reflection, and guess what? He was right. He was absolutely right. 
I hurt people around me with my lack of grace and was tough to lead. If my wife was right here, she'd be like, mm-hmm. she's in kids. Not because she's putting me down, because she knows. That's the reality. And so here's what happened. That his words, his gentle confrontation set off a chain of events that God used to slowly soften my hard heart. Over time, I came to love and appreciate the church that I was so critical of and the leaders there. I even got to the point where I was excited to learn and grow, even while admitting that I didn't, disagree, that I didn't agree with everything. I was able to submit, which I could not do before. That was super important. Another time, my dear wife turned to me gently and humbly, and she said, you know, sometimes I feel like you prioritize ministry over your family. And I know she loves me, and she had examples, and that hurt. But she was right, and I had to make changes. And it did, it's helped. This is why gentle confrontation is so important. It can help slow down and stop sin in its tracks and help renew a love for God and for God's people. And here's the thing. I look back to those moments, and I'm like, that was a holy moment. I met with God. Yes, it was my wife. Yes, it was my pastor, another brother. But those were moments I met with God because God spoke to me through them. They hurt, but those, those moments are really precious to me now. So, gentle correction, can it be painful? It probably will be, but it's so necessary. I actually have a handout if the hospitality team would, would be down to just pass it out. So there's a lot more I could say about this, but I summarize it in a handout, and they're going to pass it out. Just take it home. And if you, if you feel like you're, you're going to have to do some gentle confrontation, read this first. It'll save you. It'll spare you a lot of pain. And basically, it'll talk about how to confront how not to confront, good questions to ask yourself before you confront someone. And uh, yeah, I don't know if I printed, I think, 100 of them. Hopefully there's enough. If you're married and you can share them with your spouse, feel free. But I just want you guys to take them, fold them, put it in your purse or in your Bible and put it away because we're not going to go through it today. That's just for you to take home with you. So, Something very important to be said to you before I move on. Um, I think it's important for us to not be quick to dismiss what's being said. If we're confronted, don't be quick to dismiss it and really fight to not get defensive. Here's why. You, if you do that, which we're all going to be tempted to do, what you're actually going to do is you're going to build a moat. Does everybody know what a moat is? Uh, you're going to build a moat around your sin. And it's the sin that Jesus died to free you from. Why would you do that? It's not worth it. It's really not worth it. So, are you open to a brother or sister gently confronting you? Are you even open to that? Is there someone you need to confront? Maybe there's someone in your GC that you're concerned about. Maybe somebody you love is going down a really dangerous path in life. Or maybe somebody that you know has grown a hard heart and God's been putting them on your heart to pursue them. If so, can I encourage you to write their name down and follow up with them this week or soon? Don't let this moment pass. Gentle confrontation can be such a gift when it's done properly. And refer back to that cheat if you want to. Okay, number three, rally. These are going to go a lot faster. So I'm not even going to spend a whole lot of time on this one. Hebrews 13.3, this is rally. This is the R and go to war. Uh, I don't need to do a, spend a lot of time on this because you guys have seen this and I'll explain that in a second, but Hebrews 13.3, remember those in prison 
as though you were in prison with them and the mistreated as though you yourselves were suffering bodily. There were disciples in this church who were being imprisoned for their faith in Jesus. And in this letter, the writer of the Hebrews is saying, rally. Rally around this part of your family that's hurting, that's in need. And quite simply, there are going to be times in the life of our community where we must rally around the needs of other people, rally around the needs of the community. And I just want to applaud you guys as a church. I've seen this happen. I've absolutely seen this happen. I've seen uh, people set up meal trains for families who just had babies. I've seen you guys visit the sick in hospitals. I've seen you raise funds for each other. I've seen you babysit each other's kids and really just generally bless one another time and time again. Well done. And I've been a recipient of that, and it's been amazing. And the way you, we rally as a community reminds me of Jesus, and I love it. And so that's great, and it's going to continue. It'll go on to the end of time. The church is just going to have to rally. That's a part of it. And right now, like, Tom gave a charge about us being a family who contributes. What was he doing? He was rallying us around a need, a specific need. So I want to encourage you guys not to take those lightly. Those are actually encouragements from God to act, to take our faith and actually put it into practice, tangibly. So when that comes, be like, yes, yes and amen. This is a chance for me to actually, if I, you know, if I take this seriously, it's a chance for me to obey Jesus in really practical ways. So that's rally, and then the last one is warn. This is the last one, and we'll be done here. So 2 Timothy 4.2 says, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, rebuke, and that's the word to highlight there, rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. So that word rebuke, this, by the way, is, it's, these are words from the Apostle Paul to his son Timothy in the faith. So this is like his spiritual child. So this would be like, this is, you're my disciple. You're Jesus' disciple, but I've discipled you. So, it's spirit, so the context here is like raising spiritual children. And so Phil and Diane Comer, by the way, if you guys were there for the conference, they did a parenting conference, which was amazing. They wrote a book that's called Raising Passionate Jesus Followers, which has been really encouraging. And actually, a lot of the points in this message, I got, I basically like, I, I received just like inspiration for this from that book. So check out that book. It's a great resource for parents. It's actually just honestly a great resource for disciple makers, whether you're a parent or not. The principles in there apply to making disciples, whether it's your biological children or your spiritual children. So here's that, that Greek word that's translated as rebuke is the word epitomeo, which means to warn, which is strongly admonish. So it, it has that like, it's that time when you look someone in the eye and say like, you'd better stop. Now, gentle correction has not been enough. So this tool may be needed to make a course correction. So your tone of voice is growing firmer and more intense, but you're not yelling, you're not communicating anger. And in fact, if you are angry, stressed out, impatient, it'll taint your words. So this isn't like an angry thing. It's simply a firmer, more focused, more intense correction. And they're really signposts. Like it's, it's just to let someone know, hey, you're going the wrong way. If we're going to the grocery store and we realize we're going the wrong way, what do we do? We turn around to go to that land flowing with chips and dip, right? <laughs> How much more should we turn around when we find out we're getting on track, off track from Jesus? So here's what this has looked like. I'll do this quick. The Apostle Paul does this remarkably with Peter. If you guys know this story in Galatians, Peter's basically, he's he's acting in a way that denies the gospel. He's separating, he's a, he's a Jewish man and he's separating from the Gentiles, the non-Jews. 
when they eat, even though he used to eat with them. So he's acting hypocritically. And the Apostle Paul calls him out. And he has to do it publicly. Typically, this is going to be done privately, just so you guys know. We don't want to blast people. But this was a public sin from a leader that needed to be publicly corrected. And so Paul's like, Peter, what are you thinking? That's not the gospel. The gospel doesn't divide like that. The gospel brings us together around Jesus and his grace. And then he, he reminds him of, lo- of Jesus' love for him. And I really do think like, what he was saying is like, Peter, you're acting out of fear, not faith. You're acting out of fear, not faith. And I'm realizing more and more this is what it looks like typically to warn someone. It's to say like, hey, I think you're acting out of fear right now, not faith. This, fam- this church would not exist, I don't think, right now if it hadn't been for someone actually saying that. Uh, Andy's told this story publicly. If you guys know Andy Rogers, he's here probably once a quarter to come in and minister, and he's told this story before. But he was considering doing something totally different. He was considering, before he planted Restored Uptown, which then started the chain that led to us being planted, he was considering taking a job somewhere else, up in the Bay Area, doing kind of a ministry, like a, a ministry job at a big church, and then like kind of using that as a springboard to come and plant Restored Uptown. And he was talking to somebody and explaining his heart, and this person was like, hey man, this is somebody he trusted, somebody he loved, said to him, I think you're acting out of fear, not faith. That's not a faith move to move up there, to take that job with the big paycheck. That's, a, that's not a faith move, that's a fear move. And God used that to stop Andy in his tracks. And I say that Andy's like maybe the most faithful, radical, Jesus-loving, gospel-centered, church-planting guy I know. And he needed that. And the truth is, we all need that. We're all going to need these. I've needed this in my life. You're going to need this in your life. And there's a lot at stake. So if I can have the band come up. How do we make it through this Christian life together? We go to war with each other. We go to, no, sorry. We do not go to war with each other. We go to war for each other. It might look like war to, I don't know, Fine. Let it stand. <laughs> I want to quickly address this reality like, what could keep you from doing this? And if you're anything like me, it's probably fear. What if I get this wrong? What if I go to like gently correct someone and I blow it? What if this person that I'm seeking to actually love gets upset with me? What if the relationship is strained? Here's the truth. It might be all of those things. You might get it wrong, they might be upset with you, and the relationship might be strained. But even if gentle confrontation doesn't go well, here's the good news. We are loved. We're loved. The creator of the universe knows you and loves you. In Jesus, he's crazy about you. And he sent his son to experience rejection on the cross for you so that you would never experience the rejection of God. Even if a human being rejects you, God won't if you put your faith in him. So what does a mere person rejecting you mean? It stings, but it's not defining. It's not final. Another thing, will this person even listen to me? Will they take me seriously? Will they dismiss me? Will they brush me off? Will they appreciate the risk I'm taking to speak? Truth is, we have no control over how they respond. We don't. Good news is, God is in control. He's big, he's gracious, and guess what? He chooses to work through regular people just like you and me. That's his pleasure. He wants to do that, to bring about his purposes. Even if you don't immediately see results, you can rest assured that God's at work. I think we sang that earlier this morning. 
Those are the lyrics we were singing. And if you're doing this for, for love's sake, that's called obedience. That's pleasing to God. As a dad, I love it when my kids have each other's backs. They're five and three. Are there ways they could do it better? Oh, yeah. In fact, most of the time they get it wrong. But in those, those like few moments where they're actually looking out for each other, when Josh or Addie's looking out for the other person, I'm just glowing. Why wouldn't it be beautiful to our Father when we have each other's backs? As brothers and sisters, through things like warning and gentle confrontation. I think it's a practical way to love as we've been loved. So if you guys would stand with me if you're able. I just want you to think about how compelling and loving this community could be if we give ourselves to this. Our hearts would be cared for and protected. We'll have clarity on where we're at. We'll know how to repent more clearly. Imagine a community where everyone is loved and looked after, included, pursued, encouraged, and affirmed. And I had you a community where we have each other's backs and we pursue Jesus together. Is that a community you want to be a part of? I for sure do. So I'm going to encourage you to sing. I don't know if you want to come up and close this out. But I hope, yeah, I hope you feel loved and encouraged and empowered like this is something I've been wanting to do for a while. So thank you for listening.